Well, good morning again. It's good, to, it's good to see you guys. Hey, welcome. We're really glad you're here. If you happen to be a first-timer, a very special welcome to you. We're glad that you are part of today's worship experience, and that's whether you're here in the auditorium or joining us online, or maybe you're listening in on our podcast um, that, we, that we offer later on. So uh, just however you're connecting, we say this every week, we're glad that you're part of today's experience. I'm Shannon. I get to be the lead pastor here, and um, we're just, we are in week four of this series that we, I'm going to explain in a moment, but a couple of things I want to just mention again, just in case, is you may notice up here we have uh, at the table, we, we are celebrating communion today. It is the first Sunday of the month, and we are celebrating communion. That's kind of what we have done, and of course, COVID came along, and we didn't have it for a while, so this is the second time that we'll have communion together. We had it last month as well, so I'm looking forward to this, and I want you, and I, I say this often, but like, think about today's message in light of us moving towards this table that we'll be able to share together in a little while, and this table is open to all. We say that all who desire to be in relationship with God, doesn't mean you have to have it all figured out, Right? But all who desire to be in relationship with God are welcome at this table. So you are welcome here. And I want to say a welcome to our uh, kindergarten through fifth grade porch kids because on communion Sundays, they are part of our worship service. So hey, kids, we're glad that you're here and I'll try not to bore you. Okay, so um, adults are going, <laughs> good luck. Um, so, so we're in week four of this series called Doxypraxy. And what we've done is we've just... We've taken off the word ortho, but the ortho is actually very important. We're talking about this idea that our, our orthodoxy, which means our right beliefs, our right accurate beliefs, and our orthopraxy, which is our right accurate behavior, right, our practices, that our orthodoxy and our orthopraxy should be equal. They should meet and so our tagline for this series is, what you believe determines how you behave. And then added to that, most especially with today's message, what, how you behave reveals how you truly believe. Because sometimes our behavior and our beliefs don't line up. And so we want to look a little bit more closely at that. So this is a study through the book of 1 John. And not the Gospel of John, but the book of 1 John. And we're going to be in chapter 2 today. We were there last week as well. We're going to be there again today. And so if you like to turn in your Bibles, you can do that to 1 John chapter 2. And then we're going to look at a passage in Philippians chapter 2 after that. If you don't have your Bibles, that's cool. It'll be up on the screen for you. So I want to start right here. We're going to start in verse 15 of 1 John chapter 2 as we look at what we believe determines how we behave and how we behave reveals what we truly believe. You're going to hear a word in this little three-verse section that John is writing, and it's the word world, and we're going to talk about what that means, but just see how many times, how often John hits this, okay, and just keeps pressing this. He says... Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world." 
Verse 17, and this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. So John is saying, all this stuff that you think is so important, it's not going to last forever. And then he says, he finishes up with saying, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So um, I think if you've been around church at all, you've, you've, you know, whether growing up or currently whatever, often you'll talk, we'll hear about the world and how bad the world is and how everything in the world versus, you know, the kingdom and, and all, and, and, and I get that. When John is writing this, he's not obviously talking about like terra firma. He's not talking about like the actual earth itself, like dirt. He's talking about the culture around us. He's talking about how the, the cultural ideas, the cultural influence, the, the systems that are in place, that without even really paying attention, we are influenced by. I mean, think about that for a minute. Like, so if we're not paying attention and we're just kind of going through our life without even trying, we are being influenced by the culture, which actually tells me then that that if I'm a follower of Jesus, I need to pay attention. Like, I need to be thinking, I need to be looking, I need to be listening and going, is the culture, the world that John writes about, is it influencing me in a way, and I'm letting it, and I'm not even really doing anything about it, okay? And so this is what John's writing. He's writing to the church. This is like second-generation church. He's trying to encourage them. He's trying to correct them. He's trying to help them be spiritually mature. Now, I looked up the, the definition of world that John uses uh, in the Strong's Concordance, which is like my kind of go-to concordance that I use. And this is the definition, and it's, it's heavy, but it's, it's right on. It says this, the, whole, the definition of world, the whole circle of earthly goods. So, Anything that's on this earth that's been like produced, okay? So it's like, oh, well, where we go? And endowments, riches, advantages, pleasures. And then I love this whenever you get this in a definition, etc. So I mean, it's like, here we go. Anything you got in here. And then it says this. This is where it gets. Mm, which although hollow and frail and fleeting. Okay, so it means there's no depth to it. There's no strength to it. And it's not going to last all these things of the world, even though it's hollow, frail, and fleeting, it stirs desire and seduces away from God and are obstacles to the cause of Christ. What? I mean, this is, this is the definition of the word world. And if you stop and think about it for a lot of us, it's like, yeah, this is really kind of what, I get this, I understand this, I understand this, this stirring desire and being seduced away from God and these obstacles to the cause of Christ. So like I said, instead of the word world, we say culture a lot, but this definition is right on. And so John is writing and he's saying, hey, don't love the culture. Don't love the world. Don't love this thing that is fleeting and frail and it's hollow, like shallow. Like don't, don't love this. Don't sacrifice yourself to the riches and advantages and pleasures and its expectations and its demands on you. Don't do it. That is the world and that is not of God. In verse 16, there's, he's very specific um, about what are some of the things that he uses the word craving, which I think is a very good word. And he talks about, he, he lists a few things. These are things that culture tells us to love, that tells us to crave uh, for self 
more than anything. He says, uh, verse 16, the first one he says, a craving for physical pleasure. A craving for physical pleasure. So, of course, we, most of us know our first thought goes to, right? We know where that goes, but let's make sure, and we got our K through five kids here, so I'm not, but like we know where, where physical pleasure goes, right? So, but that is a very narrow definition. If you just think about bodies, all right? Okay, and attraction. Like that's a very, yes, that's true, but that is, so, like we can't just leave it there. Here's what I would add to that. Because it's like whatever kicks in that, uh, that serotonin, whatever that kicks in that, ooh, this is good. Oh, this feels good. Like, so that's like what you eat, like whatever you drink, whatever you inhale, you know, like whatever you want, like whatever you want to like touch, feel, all the senses, everything's activated, all of that, all of that. It's like whatever you want to do, you do it. And here's what is crazy but true. The culture that we are in right now, and I think it's been the same through the centuries, is that the culture tells us that just the mere fact that you crave something is your justification to get it. Like just, oh, I want that. Oh, oh then you should have it. Oh, I want that. Well, then you should go after that. I mean, this is what the world that John is writing about, the culture that we're in, tells us we should do. So he says, watch out. This is what the world offers, a craving for physical pleasure. And then he says this, a craving for everything that we see. Oh, man. Like, and I know, you know, you've never done this. You've never looked around and seen something that somebody had and thought, I want that. Like, right now, you've never right? It's like we, we crave everything we see, we want it. We don't have to, I mean, we see it, we want it, we order it on Amazon and it's there in the next day or two. And then, and then you forget that you ordered it. So you open it. You're like, Oh, I forgot. This is what I ordered. I'm so proud. Yay. Merry Christmas to me. Like, and I, again, I don't know that I, Drew's never seen me open a box going, I have no idea what's in here. So, um, but like we crave every, like whatever we see, we want, and, and, and John is saying, we need to be careful about this. We need to be careful about this. If you're going to be mature in your faith, you've got to be careful about the, the craving for the physical pleasures and a craving for everything that you lay your eyes on. And then he says, also, pride in our achievements and our possessions. Watch out for this. Watch out for pride in your achievements and your possessions. And, and that's that mentality of, you know, I don't really, I don't really, do I need God? I mean, I don't really know. Like, I'm doing this all on my own. I've achieved all of this on my own. What I have is what I've earned and I've gotten it. And can I please get a little recognition for it? You know, please recognize my, my titles and all the toys I have and the square footage I've got and everything. And like, just would you, like, I need the recognition and the pat on the back. And John is saying, watch out for this. Watch out for this. Watch out for craving physical pleasure, everything we see, and pride in our achievements and our possessions. So, we obviously, I say obviously, I hope you see by looking at this, that there is a craving for self that John is warning us about. He's warning the church about. There is a craving for self, and it's a horrible and dangerous orthodoxy, right? So then, 
because we're here. Well, I don't want to just be like, hey, sh- you know, shame on all of us for thinking this way. Like, what do we do with this? Like, okay, yes, I admit, I've been craving for self. I, I am susceptible to this, and I'm hearing, I'm looking at God's word, and it says, watch out for this. This is not good. What do we do? What's the antithesis? What's the, what, instead of craving for self, what can we do? If we want to be spiritually mature, followers of Jesus, I would say the opposite of craving, and I, I thought about this, was <laughs> opposite of craving instead of for self, so like give me, I want more, 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 would be creating for others. Instead of craving for self, it's creating for others. Here's what I mean by that. So again, if I'm a spiritually mature person, then I want to be creating relationships. I want to be like creating community, creating conversation, creating opportunities for grace. See, we have a creator God and we are his creation and he's called us into relationship with him. And so it only makes sense then that we should, if we're spiritually mature, that we are going to be people who are also creating I mean, that's why we're still here, right? Like, there's a purpose for us. There is a plan for us. There's something we're supposed to do in the name of Jesus Christ. So we don't just crave for self. We create for others. And I would say this, and I'm not saying that we're always um, accurate on this and that we've never failed at this, but I will say with with everything within me, that the very reason that the Porch Community Church exists is because we want to create for others. We want to create opportunities for people to find and for people to surrender to and for people to grow in their relationship with God through Jesus Christ. This is what we want. Like, this is what we want to do. Listen to what Philippians chapter 2 says, verses 3 and 4. And, I, and hear these words that Paul writes in regard to either craving for self or creating for others. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition, craving for self, or vain conceit, craving for self. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, creating for others, right? Right? Not looking to your own interests, craving, but each of you to the interests of others, creating. This is what Paul is writing. He's telling the church, this is what you do. Craving is selfish ambition and vain conceit. Creating is valuing others. Creating is looking to, the, to others, to other, their interests and looking after them. Now, what I'm about to say might sting a little bit, but hopefully there's, there's enough behind it to make you go, okay, I needed, I needed to feel that. Because I think for many, many, many people, our orthodoxy, right, our beliefs, goes something like, I believe other people are more important than me. I believe others are more important than me. But our orthopraxy, our behaviors, goes something like, I'm the most important, and what I want, I will get. Remember what our series is about. What you believe determines how you behave, and how you behave reveals what you truly believe. I said this in week one. Um, Maybe you know 
I mean, you know that you believe. Like, you've had that moment. God, you are real. You have sent Jesus Christ. He has died. He shed his blood for the forgiveness of my sins. He was resurrected on the third day. I get to live in this resurrected life. I am a follower of Jesus. You know this. You have this. No one's going to take this away from you. You are not wavering on this. You are firm and solid about that. And you know this but your behaviors are not truly reflecting that belief. And the reason for that, and I've already said the phrase a couple of times, is because of a lack of maturing in our faith. We talked last week about hatred, and and many of us were like, oh, well, okay, good, I don't hate anybody, so I hope someone... But we found out very quickly that that the same definition for hatred is indifference, which means to care nothing for. And then we concluded that the reason that we often get find ourselves at indifference is because we have been offended by somebody. And I would say the reason that we are offended and the reason relationships get broken and the reason we're like, I don't really care, it doesn't matter, whatever, I'm going my own way, is because we are spiritually immature. And this is why I say that. Oh, here's this. Okay, I, I did, 9.30 gave me the green light on this, okay? I said, I wasn't sure about this example I'm about to give to you. And I said, I'm gonna offer it, tell me if it's, they said use it. So if it doesn't work, you blame 9.30 people, okay? So, but in, in, in our, our household, um, we have two animals. We have a dog and we have a cat. We've had others, but we're, right now we're down to one dog and one cat. And... Um, I am food lady. Now, that doesn't mean that Drew does not feed our pets because he does. Sometimes Mallory will too. But I, those anim, I'm food lady to the animals. Anyone else understand this in your house? Are you the, you're the food person for your pets, right? So there's a routine. They know the routine. They know. Once you enter the room, they know, there's the place where you feed them. There's the place where you keep the food. It's there. They know where you're going. They know that nourishment is right there. It's going to happen. But here's what happens in, in our house. I mean, Drew gets up and leaves before I do. Often he's fed them. But the animals will act like, food lady, we haven't seen food in weeks, right? You, so, but, so when food lady walks into the living room... Everything starts. The cat's at the door, let the cat in. The dog is going. And again, they know where to go. They know where to go. And so food lady's on her way to go to, to take care of the food. And the animals will start doing things like figure eights between my legs and stopping abruptly as I am scooting on along and about make me follow. It's like there's a whole like, like Olympic gymnastics event happening right below my knee. I'm just trying to get like, you guys know where I'm going. Can we just get there? And it's like, my dog's like, oh, this smells disgusting. Let me stop and smell this like right in front of me. And I like, I about fall over. And here's the reason I give this example because I wonder how many of us, we know where the nourishment is. We know who's going to provide for us. We know who's going to feed us. We know it's going to be good. We know we're going to get all that we need. And yet we are running figure eights and going all over the place and occasionally going, oh, this smells disgusting. I think I'll stop and check it out. And the reason we do that is because there's a lack of maturity in our lives. 
There's a lack of understanding of, I know what God has for me. We forget. We, it's like we, we, we just get just dumb all of a sudden. And so I would ask, like, what, what behaviors, what praxy, what orthopraxy right now, if you're one of those who I said, hey, you, like, you know you believe, okay? What, what behaviors do you have in place right now to mature in your faith? I love the fact that you're here in worship. I love the fact people are watching and listening. I love it. But friends, this is one way action right here, okay? This is just, I get to talk to you. What behaviors, what practices do you have in place? What are you reading? What are you studying? Who is holding you accountable? What other people are you walking uh, along with and asking questions with? Who, what, what kind of spiritual disciplines are you practicing? What, kind, what is your prayer life like? like? What are you doing in your praxis, like in your praxis, your orthopraxy behaviors to mature in your faith? Because we can say we believe, but what are our behaviors showing? This is why we talk so much about community groups. I mean, Justin even said it as our college students were here. Their, their community has been so important to them. What I keep going back to is, as I'm working on messages in this series in 1 John, is that there is a massive percentage of believers who haven't matured much beyond salvation. And I say this because if, if Jesus' followers were more spiritually mature, you would see it. There would be evidence of it. It would be undeniable. You would, you would not be able to say, nope, that, that's not happening. It would just be so apparent. Because if we were more spiritually mature, this is why I say that. If, if we were more spiritually mature, we would forgive more quickly. Because we understand forgiveness. Like a spiritually mature person understands forgiveness. And so then we would forgive because we, we create for others, so we would forgive others, right? And a spiritually immature person is just craving for self. If we were a spiritually mature person, we would offer grace extravagantly because we have received such grace. This is what, these are the, these are the, this is the fruit of a spiritually mature. If we were more spiritually mature, we would seek reconciliation when things get broken like it was our job. Because it is, we just know that it's not okay. We know, because we know what it's like to be in broken relationship with God and it hurts and it's horrible and we don't want that. We want that connection and so we would offer that to others. If we were more spiritually mature, we would cheer wildly for other people instead of silently rooting maybe for them to fail. If we were more spiritually mature, we would value accountability in offering it and in receiving it, we would value accountability instead of bowing up against it. And with that, I would say, if we're, more, if we're spiritually mature, we would speak truth boldly, even if we know that the person might not be so willing to receive it. 
This is, these are the, this is the fruit of a spiritually mature person. And I would say, not lastly, but lastly on my list, because I mean, I think the list is extensive. If we were spiritually mature, just kind of bottom line it, we would love others. And this is what John is writing about in this whole letter of 1 John. Loving others. Talking about spiritual maturity, when Jesus had the very first communion with his disciples, they got together not to say, hey, we're going to go and have communion with Jesus. They got together celebrating the Passover meal. They were celebrating the fact that God had saved the firstborn of all Israel, that that, that, that death that was coming, it passed over all of them. Why? Because they put the blood of a sacrificed animal on their doorposts. I mean, it's the imagery with Jesus is all there. You see it? And so they were getting together to, sacri- to, to, to celebrate Passover. And yet at that meal, and, and bread was always there at the Passover meal, and, and wine was there. And at that meal, what Jesus did as he sat at that table is he took bread, and instead of saying, okay, we're now going to discuss how God provided um, for us in, our, in the wandering of the Israelites and how he provided for us and, and we're going to celebrate that. He, instead, he changed it up on them. And he said, this bread represents my body, which will be broken for you. And then he lifted the cup and he said, and this cup represents my blood, which will be poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. They understood provision, and they understood the sacrifice, the blood sacrifice, and the salvation that it brought, but not in this way. And what I see at the communion table, friends, is that orthodoxy and orthopraxy converge beautifully, because our belief is that God did, in fact, send Jesus, and that his body was broken for us. And that his blood was poured out for us. And that we have forgiveness of sin. And we have new life. That's our orthodoxy. And how it converges at the communion table is that we get to respond. And come and receive. That's our behavior. We respond to this. And this is what I see at that table with those disciples. At that first time is this suddenly it was, oh, we thought we were doing this, but now Jesus has made this something much greater. And that's spiritual maturity. That is, okay, this is kind of what we're doing, but now Jesus says, oh, no, no, no. Here is what it is. This is what this represents. And you know what he said a couple of times at that first communion with them? He said, as often, he says, remember this, remember this. As often as you get together, remember this. Many of us have been around in churches and the communion table says, do this in remembrance of me. Why did Jesus want them to remember? Because it was important. Why did he want them to remember? Because it was his way of saying, of pouring into them and developing them and maturing them and saying, you, my disciples, my followers, I have work for you to do. Remember this. Don't forget it. Don't, be, don't go around doing figure eights all over your life. Remember this. Move towards me. Grow towards me. Mature towards me, Jesus says. And that's how we, as John writes, 
watch out for the world because we just don't pay attention. As we mature in our faith and suddenly we go, you know what, what is, what is being said, what is being offered, what is being demonstrated, what is being told to me, I don't agree with. And only a spiritually mature person can really see that and respond to that. So we come in a moment, I'll ask those who are serving, if you would come forward and ask the band to go ahead and come out. As we now kind of shift gears a little bit, but really not. Because we have our beliefs, and now we have the opportunity for our behavior to match it. I said earlier that this table is open to all, and it is. If you desire to be in relationship with God, you are welcome at this table. It's not a, you have to be a ministry partner here or anything like that. And when we come to receive, we, we don't come to take, okay? We come to receive. So when you come, come with your hands outstretched. Come to receive from these servers who will place that bread in your hands. It's a beautiful, beautiful imagery when we take that that bread that's so white and then watch it as we dip it into the cup and see it turn red. I mean, I just, every time I look at it, I just think that's Jesus taking on my sin. In just a moment after we present the elements, the ushers will... Um, direct you when to come and which station for you to be able to come to to receive. And um, after you receive, if you want to spend time at the kneelers praying, you can. Or if you just want to go back to your seat and, and pray there, you can. It's prayer's prayer. Kneeling before God, bowing before God. It happens where it is. But now, friends, we have the opportunity to do exactly what Jesus said, and that is to Remember. So on that night, as he sat at a table with his friends, he took the familiar loaf, and yet he held it up to him, and he said, this loaf represents my body, which has been broken for you. And then he took the familiar cup, and he held it before them, and he said, this cup represents my blood, which has been poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Remember this. Remember this. Father, we come now to receive. And Lord, we know that there is nothing in the bread or in the juice that, that brings us anything. But it's in our belief and in our practice. It's in our belief and in our behavior that we respond to you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for life. We thank you for death. We thank you for resurrection because that is exactly what you call us into is to die to ourselves, die to our flesh, die to the world and to be resurrected into life and life of purpose. Life that is not focused on self but is focused on others. Lord, we come to receive. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.